And we're back with listener Jared's beer. <laughs> oh, that like wasn't even planned, and we're all able to open the beer at the same time. Uh, <laughs> oh, but we didn't do it the John Strand way. No, we didn't do it the John <laughs> Strand way. Um, we're here with uh, Alan Paller, the director of the research for the Sands Institute. Um, Alan directs several Sands research programs, including the Incident uh, Internet Storm Center. Uh, oversees the Sands News Bites popular bi-weekly security summary. Uh, the at-risk weekly authoritative summary on all new vulnerabilities. Alan has also testified several times before the House and Senate. And in 2001, President Clinton named him as one of the first members of the National Infrastructure Assurance Council. Uh, earlier in Alan's career, he was an entrepreneur who built the first large computer graphic software company, took it public, and merged it onto a New York Stock Exchange company. Alan also created the Data Warehousing Institute and wrote two books, the EIS book, Information Systems for Top Management, and How to Give the Best Presentations of Your Life. And we have some questions Uh along those lines for Alan's area of expertise. Uh, Alan has chaired more than 150 national and international conferences, ranging from the CIO Perspectives Conference uh, put on by CEO Magazine, and of course the SCADA Summits um, in the U.S. and Europe sponsored by SANS. Alan has degrees from Cornell and MIT, as does our previous guest, which I thought was really neat. Uh, I wanted to read a quote from Newsweek that Dave read to me. Dave, the AV guy, found this quote before the show. Um, Alan, I, I hope you uh, bear with me while I read this quote because I'm a huge fan of, of X-Men. Um, and Newsweek is quoted as saying, Paller is kind of a real-life version of Professor Charles Xavier, the X-Men comic book character who heads a school designed to find and nurture young mutants with supernatural powers. And, um, and I will add in sick with more hair. <laughs> <laughs> of course, they're not mutants. Um, they may have supernatural powers, um, but they're a very bright young individuals. We're, of course, very pleased to welcome Alan. Alan, welcome to the show. Thank you. One of your uh, regulars is one of the mutants, John Strand. That's right. <laughs> and, we've got, and we've got a mutant up and coming, Alan. Larry Pesci has started teaching 617 with us as well. I was glad they didn't bring up the fact you can read minds, though. That's, that's, that's a good thing. Yeah, that's a little that's Wait, bit. what? <laughs> <laughs> so, Alan, how did you get your start in information security? So you you mentioned in the in the opening that I had built one of the early a group of us built one of the early software companies in computer graphics. We merged it into a company that had two of the three mainframe computer security products, and there were no minis and there were no PCs. So when I said mainframe security, that was all of security. It was back in early eighties, mm-hmm. and so um, they didn't know how to spell Unix. Well, they knew how to spell it, but it had to do with people who had lost certain parts of their body. So <laughs> they were, they were, um, Unix was a new thing to them, and I knew a little bit about it. And they were already very big in security, and they wanted to do something because Unix boxes were starting to spread through their, their client base. Um, they wanted to do something, so they asked if I would, I would help make that happen. So that's how I got into security, was I, had, I came in with a computer graphics leaning but my little bit of Unix knowledge, when when a when a uh, was in a man with one eye, is 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 uh, I can't remember what the story is. Anyway, I knew I knew enough to be dangerous with, with Unix. Right, right, right. Very nice. So, how did you come to start the uh, the Sands Institute, and what were some of your goals early on? The Sands started. Boy, this goes back a long time. Do you remember the thing called the Open Software Foundation? 
Yes. Oh, yeah. yes. So the backstory on that was it was actually a a, a uh, scheme by IBM and HP to, to try to stop the momentum of, of Sun. But it wasn't presented that way. It was presented as good guys trying to create open systems for the world. And the president of it was one of the, the really cool people at this company. He had left the company that I had merged our graphics company into, and he was the president of it. And he asked if we could, if I could help him get the federal leaders to, um, to get interested in open systems. Because in those days, it was safe to buy IBM mainframes right. and Unix and other stuff was unsafe. Mm. Um, and it, there was a fascinating characteristic of computer graphics, and that was that it was a career builder. The guys who could make computers useful to top management were very visible and so got to be moved up really quickly. And so a lot of my old friends from the computer graphics days had become... CIOs, they didn't call them CIOs in those days, they called them IRM directors, but the, become the heads of computing in the big agencies. So I took them around to introduce them to, to some of those people and created a little program called the Federal Open Systems Conference um, to bring uh, open systems to the federal agencies. And it did okay, but there was a, there was a real desire to have training associated with the conference. And I had started the National Computer Graphics Association years earlier, built it up to 30,000 people. So I knew a little about these, this conference idea. And so we added, we added courses, kind of like the courses we used to do at SIGGRAPH, the, the one-day courses. Yeah, it, you know, Alan, it's interesting that a lot of the smaller conferences uh, that run in security uh, are still doing that today. They'll run the conference and go, oh, we need to add training uh, onto the small conference. So we, we still see that happening today. It's interesting. Yeah, it's interesting. It doesn't work as well as you want it to. I'll tell you why in a second. So let me make the story really short. So we, the, everybody wanted a general course on open systems. And within two years, the only thing they wanted to know about was security. By 92, the, everybody wanted, wanted training in security. I met uh, Gene Schultz, who died a few months ago, uh, who was sort of the, the top wizard on one area of security, and Matt Bishop, who was the other area, and, and Michelle Gell and John Stewart. And they all became teachers, and that was the beginning of SANS. And the, and the goal was, the, was to create a, a graduate-level training organization in cybersecurity. So that it, was, it was always to make it not training, but, but education that creates people who can do complicated work. Mm. Yeah, I mean, really, it sounds like early on you, you took the mission of showing people how to do things. Um, which we take to heart here on Paul.com as well. So yeah, you do. You, you don't we, just tell them about that. it. You actually show them how to do it. And, but I mentioned that it doesn't, the, the little conferences don't work. So mm -hmm. the, the best story was when, when Windows security happened, which was an oxymoron, right? The, <laughs> yeah. so, but they first they started using Windows NT as network devices, and they wanted to know about security. And so I had two teachers. I had a guy who's now one of the top security guys at Amazon, and then Gene, both teaching it. And one would teach on one day and the other would teach on the second day. And when you went to both classes, you found out that you didn't know what you're talking about because whatever you learned from the first guy, the second guy disagreed with. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's security. So when you have these one-day experts giving classes, they just talk about what they know. And you've got to be phenomenal to glue them together. You're just, and you're getting little pieces of the, of the answer. That's why when, um, when um, Steve Northcutt came in, and he had been the, the ballistic missile defense uh, cyber warfare officer, and he knew how bad 
the, the education was of the people in cybersecurity, he said, you can't do these one-day things. You have to actually figure out what people need to do their job and do five- and six-day things that give them the whole picture rather than these little one-day ones that are, that are great for dilettantes. So that's why I said that the one-day ones didn't work. We, we've, we've stopped doing them. We try to do much more complete pictures so we don't leave people with holes in their, in their knowledge. So, Alan, tell us one funny story that happened along the way when starting SANS. Oh. <laughs> the, the, the best one for me. Is the the statute of limitations has to be up on some of the early ones. That's right. No, That's right. Trust, trust me, it's not. <laughs> no, this is, it was 97. Um, everybody was interested in, in security and Windows. And I wrote a note. We were doing news bites in those days. This news summer I had 22,000 people on the mailing list. Now it's 260,000, but then it was 22,000. And I sent out a note to all of them saying, if you're an expert on Windows security, we'd like your help in creating a how-to guide summarizing the knowledge you have. And I got 2,243 people responding. And it was manual days, so I had to answer 2,243 emails, which was not, which is a lot of weekends. And then but what I learned was almost all of them were lying. That was the funny thing. <laughs> everybody wants to wants in on the knowledge, but they don't really have the knowledge to help. And when we finally got done, we had 123 people actually knew something, and about six who actually did something. So the great the great uh, uh, surprise was how many people act like they know things, and how few actually will do the work to help other people. Mm. Well, that hits home here. That hits home here, doesn't it? Yes, yes, <laughs> Wait, certainly does. What? what? You have had a few people offering to help and then not helping. No, I'm just, uh, I, I, you know, I'll speak for myself. Everybody else here on the on the crew is knows what they're doing, but I pretend to know what I'm doing. This <laughs> <laughs> but I'm old and have a big beard, so people think, I, you know, I'm, you know what you're doing if you have a beard. That's, that's right. right. Exactly. There's a sound clip for me. Right? That's, that's, <laughs> I've got a new ringtone for my phone. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thank you, Alan. <laughs> so, Alan, uh, I, I wanted to ask you about um, giving presentations uh, and, and to some extension that, you know, that goes into giving training as well. Um, and I actually didn't know till I, I researched your bio that you uh, wrote a book on how to give the best presentations of your life. Um, and I, I'm going to go buy that and I want to read it, but I want you to share with our listeners, um, two things. Uh, one, what are the top three mistakes that people make when giving a presentation? The biggest one, the big, the two biggest ones that technical people make are one, assuming that the audience knows the problem they're solving for them. And two, presenting conclusions. So let me let me give you both of them. So the, the most famous well, then, go, go. I don't need to. Sorry, <laughs> most people start out assuming that what they know the audience wants to know, and so they don't bother to explain what the problem is they're about to solve. They just provide the solution, and they lose their audience long before they win their audience. So, and the more they tell about the solution when the audience doesn't know what the problem is, the angrier the audience gets at them. It's why you, you, people just walk out of the room really disliking technical speakers because they, they give them all this detail on something and, they don't, and the audience doesn't know why they want to know it. Um, but the other one, and it's very related to the first one, is 
They explain why something's important by concluding that it's important. And what they're doing is they're summarizing all the anecdotes that they know. And they say, so this is really important. And they never tell the stories. And the audience doesn't know why they should trust the speaker. The, the actual stories of how the speaker learns something is, the, is what makes the audience trust the speaker's statement, unless the speaker has situational authority, meaning if the speaker is the, the president of, of GE, he's got a certain amount of, of, of situational uh, or positional authority. But, mm. but most of us don't. So, we, so those are the two big errors. It's starting, starting without making sure the audience knows what the problem is and not telling stories. And they combine at the opening of a great talk a great talk where you're trying to persuade a group to do something, you're actually trying to move them forward, is to tell an actual story about the problem you're going to solve. And the key to telling it is don't tell it about the audience you're talking to, tell it about a different audience. Because if you tell it about the audience you're talking to, they'll get mad at you. <laughs> so anyway, that's, it's complicated. The point I'm trying to make is giving great presentations is, is complicated. It's not simple. But, but the, the bottom line, the most important thing you can do is have a conversation with your audience. Don't, don't speak at them, but have a conversation with them. Okay. Yeah, so that was kind of my next question. What are the three things that we can all kind of do better uh, in presentations? One is have, talk to the audience the same way you would if somebody walked into your office and, and, and asked you a question. Mm. Basically answer the question. And if they haven't asked you a question, give them the answer before you give them the answer so that they know what, what it is you're going to give them. Um, but I'll give you one. Oh, the second one is look them in the eye. We, in, in the United States in particular, we have, a term, we have terms we talk about, with, about when we describe speakers. We say he was shifty-eyed. He wouldn't look me in the eye. It means he's untrustworthy. And people do what you want them to do if they trust you. And the way you get that trust is by looking them in the eye. It's it's a lot harder to lie to people when you're looking in the eye, too. Some people are able to do that. But I'll give you the, the best one. You ever have to do a panel? So I'm not, yeah. I'm not suggesting you're doing a speech now, but you're actually chairing a panel. Mm -hmm. um, the, the cool thing to do is to give your audience um, five, just say it's a, an hour-long panel and you have four speakers, give them each five minutes, no more than five minutes, to say something provocative, and then make the rest of it Q&A using... Uh, index cards, so the audience can ask any question they want, and they're anonymous. And it's just fun. It makes now, fun for the audience and fun for the fun for the speakers. Now, another thing about panels that I've seen you do with panels is a lot of times. Uh, like I remember once I was on a vendor panel with you, and we had a couple of vendors, and the vendors they just kept on saying nice things about each other. It was kind of a boring panel discussion, um, and you kind of stirred the waters a little bit. And you said, "You guys are being nice, but seriously, why is your product better than the competition?" Um, do you think that is a good strategy, or is it just one that you only employ whenever you absolutely have to to keep things interesting? So you you want you want to provoke questions from the audience. And the, the way you do that is with controversial um, statements. And the way to get controversial statements is have one vendor explain why his product is better than the other one and have the other vendor explain why it isn't. And that engages the audience. So the, the game is, is not to, to generate the, the antagonism, but to actually engage the audience so that you don't waste their time. You have 20 people or 2,000 people in the audience, and your job as, a, as, the, as the chair is to make sure that that they really get high value out of it. Something, John Strand, you do every time you get up in front of an audience, but many people don't do it. 
They just don't care about the audience. They care about sounding, sounding smart. And they, they bore people to death. Excellent. That was uh, some fantastic advice, Alan. Um, uh, we're all kind of taking notes and, and tweeting. and <laughs> it's, it's very, it's that, very cool. that panel thing will make you a hero. Audiences will love you for doing that, not letting your speakers talk for their, you know, it's at 18 minutes each and then there are no time for questions. You, you, audiences will really like you. And if, when you start cutting the guy off after five minutes, they'll cheer for you. Yeah. So it's, no, it's, it's, it's good advice. Relationships. Unless you have waffles. Um, I, say, I, I recommend well, being we're, sober. We're an episode. I, I recommend being sober when you moderate a panel. I may have learned that, that one too. the hard way last um, year. <laughs> for episode for episode three hundred, we're gonna. Company you work for, by the way, there are exceptions. Yeah. Don't yeah. cut them off. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, for episode three hundred, we're gonna we're gonna have some panels. So that's some some great advice, uh, Alan. Maybe we'll have you back on for episode three hundred as well. Be great. Um, Maybe we'll have you moderate some of our panels even better. <laughs> I have uh, no enough to moderate panels. Well, no, so no. We'll make sure. Don't sell yourself short there. Um, so, Alan, let's talk about CyberQuest. Uh, what is CyberQuest? It's the uh, college-level individual competition. There, there are team competitions in cyber uh, in cybersecurity, and there are individual competitions in cybersecurity. Um, the difference is that the teams win and they're very exciting, but you don't really know who on the team was the one who knew, knew enough to make them win. Mm. Um, so in a, the teams are, competitions are wonderful. They're like CCDC. It's extraordinary and wonderful. And Cyber Patriot is as well. But there is also value in having some uh, individual competitions. The individual competitions at the high school level are called Cyber Foundations. The one at the college level is called Cyber Quest. And the one for adults is called Net Wars. Um, and there are probably others, but those are the ones that, that Sands does. Um, and there are four or 5,000 people who've, who have played and are playing each of the, uh, the, the sum of those, and those numbers will be each of them by the end of next year. CyberQuest no, no, is the college no, no, playing, playing means you're actually challenging these people to hack into things and, and do stuff, right? Well, on Net Wars, on the adult one, you're yep. actually challenging them to hack into things and do things and, and to defend the things they take over. And the Air Force is actually using it as a cyber range in their most advanced training programs because it's, it's real. You're not, you're, it's, there's nothing pretend about net wars. But gotcha. at the high school level, we're not letting them hack into anything. We don't want to give the kids the guns. So we're right. teaching them the three foundations of cybersecurity networking and operating systems and system administration. And if they learn that well, they've got the foundations that allow them to yeah. be to be to begin to be competent. And college is sort of in the middle. Mm -hmm. I got it. so Cyber, CyberQuest, CyberQuest is the, the college. Is the one yeah. that lets them get into these fantasy camps, though. Every summer for the last three years, there have been between three and five fantasy camps where where Sands' best instructors get together with college kids and give them this intense dose of, of everything that they wish they'd known. And we, we have, there's a video of the kids talking about it. It's just the most, the best experience of their life. And the way we do it, because we have sponsors for it, that most of the kids don't have to pay. There's actually a fee, but there's so many scholarships that so far people haven't had to pay. Um, and the, uh, um, the, the way you get that invitation is by winning cyber quests. So CyberQuest opened yesterday, and in the first 24 hours, 75 
kids signed up. It, the registration is open until the 16th, and then you can play. You can do the quiz anytime between the 16th and the 30th. So it's a it's a quiz essentially. It takes if you, if you're going to be one of the highest scores, you'll probably take about two to three hours on it. Um, other people spend maybe an hour on it. That's that's about how long you'll need to to now, to, well. to qualify for the for to take this challenge. There's you no, just I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, so is there what are the uh, prerequisites? So to speak? absolutely none. You you're a college kid. Okay, you just have to be in college somewhere. Yeah, enrolled. people lie. But <laughs> wait, I, we, no, we no figure way. it out before we get them to camp. Anyway, I got you. So then, now, do you take uh, then the top scoring people and send them to this camp? We invite them. They don't have you, to come. Okay. They, some people just want to win and prove they're better than a lot of other kids. Mm-hmm. This is so, actually the the one we're doing this time is actually one we have done once before, not in the United States. Um, but it, but the top score ever was 85, and we're trying to see whether somebody can beat that. Um, gotcha. We, think, we gotcha. think so. We're going to have a lot of kids trying. There are about 53 questions, so it means you can only get eight wrong. We'll see. We'll see how people do. That's, that's pretty impressive. So now do you take the top 10% and invite them, or is there some kind of percentage? Well, if only 10 people played, then we'd have to take all of them. So we don't know how many are going to. We don't know how many are going to. Right. Okay. So I see. It depends. The, the camps can only hold about 80 kids each. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of them, I think, can only hold about 50 kids. So it, that's the absolute limit. And there's some other ways. People who win CCDC can be invited to the are invited to the camps too. There are other ways to get into the camps, but but the the main one is through cyber cyber quests. I gotcha. I gotcha. Um, so now, where are the cyber camps held? So there is there is one that will be in Northern Virginia. Uh, the, the home is is Virginia Tech. And there is one in Northern California. The Bay Area Council in, in, uh, with Visa is the lead on that one. And there's one in Southern California at uh, uh, Pomona, um, Cal State Pomona or Cal Poly. Excellent, excellent. So, Alan, what are, what are, what's the goal of, of CyberQuest, for example? What's some of the underlying um, motivators to put together this type of challenge? Um, I'm actually going to answer it in two steps. One is, it's a sure. huge challenge to put this together. The, the, the best guy we have in penetration testing and hacker exploits and, and, and instant response is a guy named Ed Scotus. And I don't mean the best guy Sans has, I mean the best guy the country has. And he has a team of three people working full-time to create these games so that they are extraordinary games. Um, it's, it's enormous. It's, it's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars to get these things to be good. Uh, the, and the motivation is really quite simple. We have, uh, way too few hunters and tool builders in cybersecurity. When I mean by hunters and tool builders, uh, it, it actually has to do with the discussion you were having with Dan Gear. Most organizations right now have already been penetrated. Many of them don't know it. But almost all of the ones that matter have. Dick Clark said last week, all of them. But I, I, I don't know whether it's all of them. I just know it's a whole lot of them because I talk to most of them. Um, and most of them learn about it when the FBI walks in and shows them the data that they've lost. Hmm. So hmm. The, 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 the problem is that in order to, to do security in an organization where you have to assume that you've, been, you've already been penetrated, is an order of magnitude more difficult than pretending the problem is building a perimeter. And the skills you need 
in terms of a vulnerability analysis, in terms of reverse engineering, in terms of deep packet analysis, and in, in terms of network forensics, in terms of, of disk and memory forensics, they're much, much, much more difficult to master than, than the things normally people think of as information assurance. And so the entire goal here is to find the kids in the United States who have the aptitude that are worth training. Does that make sense? Because we don't think everybody can learn it. Right. And, and, and by training, you mean not just for offense, for defense, but for both and for good, for good cause, right? Exactly. Could, all right. I want to derail here for a minute because sure. that, that training, finding the right people, one of the things that um, it's always problematic for me as an old white guy, um, but there are... Um, Dancing? No, <laughs> I've done a lot of bad things in my life, but I don't dance. Uh, so, <laughs> wow, I almost lost my <laughs> so, that's a mating ritual, and I got married a very long time ago. So, um, <laughs> sorry, Alan. Your, um, your, your point, Jack. <laughs> oh, point. To, to point to this, we ha we um, we seem to uh, not just in information security and, and technology, but throughout technologies and mathematics and sciences. We uh, tend to leave uh, half, a little over half of the population behind uh, the creative half, uh, the female half. We tend to uh, not do a good job recruiting uh, and not do a good job supporting. And uh, other, there are a lot of other groups. Um, we, uh, Dr. Year was talking about the, uh, the dangers and assets of uh, monoculture. We're sort of a fairly pale monoculture and in information security. And with all the information, the uh, education you've done, do you have any thoughts on uh, reaching out beyond just us, uh, well, to be blunt, old white guys? I'll, I'll first reinforce your 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 discussion. The the two best intrusion detection analysts that I've ever ever seen ever are Judy Novak and oh come on, Alan. <laughs> Damn, I could have told you, Judy Novak. Yeah. <laughs> I could have told you. Come on, Alan. The she left the field 10 years ago and just came back in three weeks. Vicki Irwin. The other one is Vicky. Yes, Irwin. yes. I, reckon right? I, now, I should have I'm known that one, too. Or I'm sure there are better ones, but the two best I've ever mm -hmm. seen were both women. So the idea of having a program that leaves out women isn't a 50% problem. It may be a 70% problem. So I'm 100% I'm with you on the on the let's don't let's figure out ways to bring them in. The challenge we have is by the time we get the the nation picks up that you might be interested in technology, almost everyone in the class you'd have to enter as a boy. And it takes a, a gutsy person to be a girl and walk into a, a room full of guys. Um, it, the guys think this is funny, but it really <laughs> takes a takes a, a, a gutsy woman to do that. And they're very rare. So the, what, what we're doing is we've got programs in every girls' school we can find. We're getting them to, to enter, enter um, the high school competitions, and we're giving extra incentives for them for all the girls' schools because that way we know they're going to be girls. On the, um, uh, and the other thing we're doing is we're catching the girls earlier. We have a new program that we haven't announced yet for middle school girls in programming using kind of an extension of Scratch. Uh, which is a program developed by some guys at MIT, a programming language. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of a cool programming language that we think we can find programming in. There's a there's a hierarchy in security that the best security people know how to code as well as do the other work. Mm -hmm. 
So our theory is if the girls come in already knowing how to code, it gives them, it'll give them a confidence level, especially if we tell them how cool it is, it'll give them a confidence level that'll overcome the other problems. So we don't know if that'll work. Mm. So right now, well, all we're doing is girls' schools and outreach. There's a wonderful program that has found uh, 3,500 girls who are self-described nerds, and we're working with them. But, um, but long-term, we need a bigger program, and that's that middle school. And- there's a couple of other places, um, and now, Alan, John, you know, talked John, about this. It's, it's not polite to go oh. volunteering to speaking at those schools. I know where you're going with that. Yes. <laughs> no, 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 I'm not going to volunteer. Um, there's a couple of things that, that we've kind of noticed in the past. I mean, Paul, at uh, CCDC, uh, th- there was two teams that were captained by girls, and yes. the winning team was actually captained uh, by a girl from Townsend University, and they did a fantastic job. And then also the strangest thing for me is whenever we had the high school students come in, it was something like half of the high school, high school students that were hanging around were actually girls, and I thought that that was really, really super cool. Um, and, and we were kind of commenting on it that it, you know, it was funny because the girls would come in. You could see the guys that came in with the high school group went to as far away as they possibly could over in the corner trying to avoid them, I suppose. Um, so I think that there's encouraging signs that it's finally, that it's finally changing. Um, at least I've seen it within the last couple of years, especially at SANS conferences. Whereas, you know, four or five years ago when I first started, we maybe had one or two girls in, in the class. And now all of a sudden, you know, it's not uncommon for me to have a class where I have up to 25, 30% of the class be female. That's wonderful. Yeah, it, it, it's changing, but we're still, even if we're, I, when I look in those classes, mostly it's 10 to 15%. And I really wish it were, it were closer to 40 or 50. So we, we're going to invest what we can to make it happen. Um, there's, there's lots of good stuff going on right now that may help. Uh, people really are working hard to bring women into, into science and technology. And, and computer security is sort of the coolest area of science and technology. So if we can give them an on-ramp, a comfortable on-ramp that doesn't force them to go through a gauntlet of boys, I think it'll work. So, Alan, uh, speaking of motivating people to participate in this program, um, you had spoken to me earlier about giving away some kind of prize. I'll, I'll leave that up to you to describe to our listeners what you were kind of thinking of there. Look, part, one of the, one of the um, new goals is to get colleges to get lots of kids to participate. So you get to decide what the prize is. I'll decide the amount. So we'll spend $500 on this prize and, and we'll do it 500 for the main, for the first one and, and 100 for each of the next five. The colleges that get the most kids to participate. So they have to finish the competition. They have to score well. If they score well, there are lots of other prizes. There are scholarships and get to go to camp and all sorts of things. But just to try, just to find out where they, where they stand and how good they are. And so the colleges that, that get the most kids um, from, from each state. So the over, nationally, it'll be 500. And then the, the five, five um, highest numbers of kids after that from different states uh, will win, win prizes. And if you try to talk me into it for small schools, I'll come up with a way to do that too. But, but let's, let's go with the big schools to get lots and lots of kids involved because yeah. the entire goal for the nation right now is to put a lot of people into the top of the funnel so that we can find the talented people coming out the other side. And, and the more kids who get in at the top, the more they're going to surprise themselves by how much they know. So the message is, if you're listening to this show and you're in a college, enrolled in a college or university, and you're interested in computer security, which is a 
pretty good percentage of yeah. the people that listen to this show, as we found over the years, um, enroll in this program and go into your school and get other people excited because if you win, your school or team gets gets the money, correct? Exactly. Yeah, and, and that's and that's fantastic. And I, I really wanted to help support that because our listeners are of uh, much of them are of that demographic. We interacted with them a lot this month across Absolutely. across the board, um, especially when we were in Maryland. Yep. Uh, we interact with a lot of listeners that were that were in those shoes. So uh, by all means, please. Well, we're hoping uh, the University of Maryland at least puts a big team on. The, they weren't in the first day, but they have—they say they have 900 people in their com- in their computer security club. So we're hoping that they, that they at least can get 100 of them to engage. We'll, we'll uh, little challenge to our U- University of Maryland College Park crowd. Very nice, very nice. That's excellent. Good. Um. So, um, so Alan, what, once all is said and done, what what? have the students gained from participating in, in, in CyberQuest and going to the camp, say they scored high, for example? There's a spectacular video at the, um, at the CyberQuest site mm-hmm. um, of the kids talking about what they gained. And it just, it, it puts shivers down my back. How they've, they've never had experiences like this before. They'll do anything to come back. They'll, they'll, you know, they'll, they think it's the best thing they ever it's very much like a fantasy camp for sports where you get to play sports with, with professional players. It yeah. can change your life. And we're pretty sure these camps are giving young people with real talent a chance to see what the, what the pros are like and what, and what they could do with their talent. And then they, they get to meet and the NSA comes and, and, and other agencies come and the big companies come to try to recruit the kids. It's a, it's a really it's a life-changing experience for the kids. So just during yeah. the competition, um, the governor of Maryland, senators from many states do recognition ceremonies even, even without the camps. But the, the camps themselves can be life-changing experiences. Yeah, and there's a lot of recruiting that happening, happens as a result of a lot of these challenges. So uh, it's a good way to get a job. Yeah, the, that's true. The CCDC too. The the whole teams have been hired out of CCDC yes, by individual yes. companies. So it, if if you've got talent in this field, I remember we had a young high school kid who beat a lot of adults in the first net wars. And yes, General Sorensen, who was the CIO of the Army, was giving a talk right after this kid at the at the Gov 2.0 conference that that O'Reilly ran, and it was the hardest venue to get into. Everybody wanted to speak, and you had eight minutes to talk. You couldn't talk longer than eight minutes. You had to stay right on time. And they, they announced, and here's General Sorensen, CIO of the Army. And it was like the sound of music. He just never showed up. You know? And here's General Sorensen. And there was nothing. And finally, four minutes into his eight minutes, he came out and he said, I know I was supposed to be here before, but I need that kid. I was recruiting him. <laughs> it, the, the, the need for that talent is yes. huge. And it's, and it's exciting work. It's not exciting every day. Sometimes it's boring, but but you can really make a difference in the world, and it's as yeah. cool as being a sport. We're making it as cool as being a sports star. But, Alan, do you do you think it's a um, somewhat of a national security uh, issue? Do you think that we're we've really moved towards um, that realm of of cybersecurity, so to speak, in uh, in terms of uh, improving national security? Well, the the in the next war, the cyber portion, the the major tanks will be people. What I mean by that is, in many cases, you can't use the weapons 
the same way every time, the way you can missiles. You have to keep adapting them and responding to the other guys. And the winner in the cyber part of the next war will be the people who have the better talent. So this is an existential issue. It's not just a war fighting issue. It's an existential issue for, for nations. Um, it, the, in one of the most recent books where the, the U.S. counterintelligence executive was writing, um, he said that, that China, for example, has 30,000 full-time hackers in the, in the uh, PLA and 150,000 in the militia available to PLA. We don't look like that. And I'm, I'm hoping we never get into a, a fighting, a shooting war with China, but, but we ought to at least have the talent to, to compete. Mm. That's, yeah, why, that's why it's worth doing this well. Excellent. Well, Alan, thank you very much for coming on Paul.com and uh, appearing on the show, uh, giving us some of your background, which was, uh, which is excellent. Some insights into how SANS uh, began and of course, telling us about CyberQuest. We link to the CyberQuest website uh, from our show notes and uh, we'll be sending some information out to our subscribers to kind of uh, gain some momentum in uh, from Paul.com subscribers in CyberQuest because uh, it's just the right thing to do. I think it can be, um, we receive so much feedback, right? How do I get my start in information security? How do I get, you know, get going in this field? I mean, that's right. We ask all of our guests, yeah, how'd you get your start? My son's spending all his life up in his room. What, what kind of job can he have? Get him into these, this high school, this, this college competition, because the recognition gets him all sorts of opportunities. I mean, instantly gets him opportunities to learn more. Excellent. Well, Alan, thank you very much for appearing on Paul.com. You're welcome, Paul. It's a treat. Thanks, everybody. Right. Take care, Alan. Thanks, Thanks, Alan. And with that, we will uh, we'll take a little break, um, uh, a bio break, as it were. Nice. <laughs> and uh, we'll collect ourselves after uh, those two interviews, which were both epic in their own right. Yes, um, yes sir. My brain kind of needs a little re a reset. I need to push the reset button, come back. And we're going to talk about the stories for this week, which we haven't talked about in quite some time. No the kidding. last episode, we were in Orlando, and John and I sat in a very loud bar. <laughs> wow, talking about closing the circle from 200 and what episodes ago? Yeah, where he, yeah. He, you two sat in a bar? And, yeah, uh, exactly. We, we sat in a bar at a SANS conference. Go figure, right? Yeah. Uh, we recorded an episode, which is kind of romantic, as you said, because that's where we got our start. Before that, right? We Not were, you and John, but... Well, John and I, and I were romantic, believe me. Well, of course. Yeah. <laughs> Because <laughs> without saying, and then uh, we were live from CCDC it's, conference. It's good to know that you and Larry have an open relationship like that. Yes, it's <laughs> yep. very, they do. We're very. That's that's really messed up. How do you how do you know it's an open relationship? It could be a menage a trois. <laughs> oh no, John, it's open. <laughs> it's in fact very open. Uh. Too much. Wow. All right. So Get a this bio break gonna... requires uh, puking as well as gonna... other things. Yeah. You know what? We're going to come back and talk about the stories for this week. And that's how I'm going to close out that whole conversation. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Moving on. Paul's got to pee. There is a breast pump. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> that's it? That's all you're going to go with? That's all I'm going to go with. There's a breast pump. There's nice. a breast pump. And we're back with stories for this week. Coming off two epic Interviews with uh, first Dan Gear and then Alan Paller. I'm uh, my brain's tired. I wanted to thank listener Jared though. Yeah, yes, for getting us drunk on this episode. <laughs> thank you very much. I've managed to hold it together for both interviews. Now nice. um, 
it's not going to be pretty. <laughs> Darren and I actually, uh, on the way back from CC, DC, uh, nice, nice out. Wow. Uh, acquired two cases of Yingling. Oh, where did Ooh. you get? Oh. We stopped at the, right by the place where we went to dinner. There's that, those two plazas. The one oh, yeah. right up was yeah. the liquor store, and we grabbed two cases of Yingling bottles. And, and where is Orlando, this right now? We, my wife and I were drinking Yingling all and, week. And of course, that's, we drove, that's, so we tossed it in the back of the truck, and it worked. Third, that's third world Yingling. That's that stuff they make down in the swamps of Florida, not in the, not in the United States. Yeah, it's good it flavor. Did taste, it did taste different. Yeah, it's it's not the Pennsylvania brewed stuff down in Florida, but yeah. you know, there are people in Florida. They don't know the difference. I mean, right. uh, they drink Coors Light for the most part. So. <laughs> I don't know who would drink Enough that. Enough of the Coors Light bashing. That's all I got to say. I, I, just, I don't know who would I, drink that cat piss. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Cat piss. Cat Every, piss has more flavor. Yeah. <laughs> I drink you, you know what? Soda. I don't want to know how you know that. <laughs> Everyone knows my opinion of Florida. I think we should make it a territory and Puerto, in and of itself. And, and Puerto, make it a territory make like Puerto Rico, Rico, and Puerto Rico. Give Puerto Rico statehood if they oh, want Oh, I see. Tra- you want to trade, Do a trade Puerto Rico for Florida. That way we don't have to screw up the flag. Yes. <laughs> you had this all, you know what jack daniel for president <laughs> here, here. For cheers to that yeah. I, I you would have my vote jack got this shit all figured out it does hey recently <laughs> recently we voted for the candidates for the uh republican party and for the democrat party and the sad thing is we had the primaries but we cannot vote for them for presidency which is totally weird no, it's it's not weird, Carlos. It's messed up, is what that and is. And why would you want to? I mean, is there anything about this entire train wreck of a mess that you look at and it's like, God, I wish I was a part of that? You just you're really just picking the person that's gonna f you the least, right? Look, it yeah, could be worse. True. You could be South Dakota where you're just humored, or the person you want to f. Like, where did, did Sarah Palin go? <laughs> that's just Ooh. weird. Wow. Did you see the porn I, I, movie? I, I, I mean, yes, I did. Yes. Yes, I, I did. The Russians just showed up at her front door. Yes. She was like, oh, I could see you guys from over there. And the Russians showed up. And then, you know, things that I can't talk about started happening. Yeah. yeah. Everybody yeah. was happy. Yeah. Not, that I, not that I... Never mind. And you know what? Let's get into the hey, stories, for, into the stories <laughs> for this week. <laughs> yes, please. Yeah. Let's talk about paste bin misusage. Pasties? And it wants to arm itself against misuse. And I'm just like, how do you do that? <sighs> Then I was like, oh, I read the article and I was like, oh, like this. So Pastebin is going to hire employees to watch for any sensitive information that may be posted to Pastebin.com. That has to be the most god-awful job in the universe <laughs> to watch paste, watch text come across Pastebin and tell me if you see someone's password, uh, credit card number, or social security number. It, it reminds me of a scene right out of like Clockwork Orange. You'd have to strap me to a chair yeah, yeah. and yeah. hold my eyelids open uh, to stay engaged in that. Well, so you know what they're going to they need to do? They're they, just they, going to encrypt it. They really need to hire two people. One to be sitting there reading the stuff and keep the eyes open and the other one to squirt the eyedropper so your eyes don't get dried out. That's right. That's yeah. right. So, you know, they really need to they really they hire one person to start watching the stuff and the other one to write software to automate all that stuff. Yeah, I don't understand why they said they were going to hire people to watch. Mm. Uh, the only uh, thing I can tell you, if somebody's going going to be learning scripting very, very, very quickly, if they're, they're smart, it is that guy. Yeah. No, I totally, <laughs> I totally agree. I mean, because even if you were paying someone to watch, right? I mean, even a simple like <laughs> XR. You, you do pay people to watch them. Oh. I do, but oh. it, <laughs> in any case. Uh, okay. <laughs> I'm glad you guys saved it up. 
<laughs> we did. We did. Now as we got this big but, release. But my point is a B64 in, in coding yeah. is going to hide from until someone automates it, right? And writes a script to say, oh, like B64D code. On, on wait, 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 wait. Decode. You, you are making the mistake of thinking that this person's job is to actually do what they say it is, <laughs> not to be someone in the role so they have plausible deniability. Wait, so wait, wait are you wait, saying Paisman's going to hire on, someone on, to Jack, browse porn, Jack. browse porn the whole day, and then say, well, we got someone watching. Jack's got, well, Jack, wait a minute. Jack, wait a minute. Jack, so Jack, you're John's telling me the corporations sometimes say they're doing one thing, but do something else. <laughs> Tell me more. Say it isn't so, Jack. Uncle Jack, save! Oh wait, never mind. Yeah. <laughs> Wrong person. For that. Go there. If you're I'm looking for go a there. ray of sunshine, let me drop my trousers and bend over. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's not sunshine, my friend. It's by reading by the moonlight. Wow. <laughs> wow, they really saved it up. And I wouldn't say it's they a ray so much as a log. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't it sad whenever we're the voice of reason on this show? I mean, sometimes. Let's let's move on. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. So I'm John, John, I've got a, I'm I'm got a good in. Larry. I so, want to talk about one of your stories, which I yeah, think is and, the coolest story out of all of them. Is oh, well, does that have to do with the, with this device? Uh, so John, which story that do you want to talk about? Power? Because I, I had your, sort of a follow-on to that, but go ahead. Your brute force calculator is awesome. What what an absolutely wicked cool find. Uh, yeah, I wish it was my brute force calculator. I wish um, it was, but uh, but you found it. You got it out here, so you're getting credit, man. Sure. So uh, I don't remember where I picked this up, but uh, someone in one of the news feeds uh, linked to a Bruce brute force calculator, and it is uh, sponsored by Foundstone, which is pretty cool. So you go to this website and you say, all right, so what's the average password length we're trying to put in our organization? So let's say eight-character password. Um, and what are we trying to do? And it's got all sorts of create, you know, different various password storage techniques and um, hashing algorithms and all that type of stuff. Okay, so let's say it's uh, a media wiki password and we're only going to require people to do um, lowercase and numeric. And you do that and you get time and to brute force, based on this calculator, to brute force the entire key space, it will take three days, 23 hours, and some change. Mm. About four days. The entire key space. No, I like, so the biggest one that I like playing with is the ND, is the NTMD4. This is, you know, of course, Windows, you have the landman hashes, which are really weak. Yep. And then NTMD4. And I always tell people they need to go to passwords of 15 characters or no, more no, no. and get it's rid a good, of all the special character John, crap. It's great, it's great advice because I just put what my password is for a specific character set, and it came back with 51 quadrillion years. <laughs> yeah. So I, I if like you just do idea. a password of 15 characters, uppercase, um, uppercase, alphanumeric, that's it. 15 characters, it would take 20, 228 million years to crack that password. As a minimum, unfortunately, a unfortunately, it takes me that long to remember it and then type it. Yeah. Now, <laughs> yeah. now, now, th this Thank being God said, for copy and paste. This is a, a great calculator for for proving a point as to you know you need to have some some better password lengths and you know pick and, and can help you pick the uh, the appropriate technology for storage and all that type of stuff. Can you help me pick your nose. Way. Yes. Um, the problem is, or the one of the things that you need to be wary of is that. It's sure it says, you know, in, in 
in Paul, in your case, 51 quadrillion years for a uh, 20 character media wiki pal- password with upper alpha numeric. Um, that's the entire key space. You will find usernames and passwords uh, in, in public use that will not take 51 quadrillion years to come up with. Um, because if you if you think about it, it's average of uh, 50% of the time it takes to do the entire key space based on actual password usages and, and all that type of stuff. Yeah, but but Larry, one of the one of the things that, you know, as you start getting longer passwords, the fact that people reuse passwords, it starts diminishing dramatically. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you force people to use eight character passwords, you'll see tons and tons and tons of people using the exact same password. But once you start getting to passphrases, the amount of overlap where people are reusing weak passwords again and again and again and again, it is just it just doesn't happen. People start diversifying their entire password set. And I mean that a more of a sociological perspective, that if you have, let's say a hundred thousand people, if you have eight character passwords, you're going to run into groups of 150, 200, up to 1,000, where people are reusing the exact same password. It's not because they get together and share, it's just because that's the way they think. Once you get to about 15 characters, you start getting great disparity in passwords. And we've seen this in uh, whenever you dump password hashes from domains that enforce 15 characters or longer, and you see how many duplicate passwords exist. Usually, the duplicate passwords that you see exist were passwords that were created by a help desk as a default password. Yep. So interesting, you know, John, just even taking a look at this. So you, you talk about the 8 to 15. So I put 8 for uh, LMDES in lower alphanumeric. 8 characters, you do the calculation. One day, 7 hours and 54 minutes to do the entire key space. Yeah, but there it is makes... no 8-character password at LandmanDES. Right. So you do 15-character LandmanDES, 285 million years. Now, w- one quick question. Is this taking into account, let's say, uh, some of the new gear that I have been seeing out there, new boxes that people have been configuring that can do around uh, 2.8 million password tries per second? So that's a really good question. And yeah, what are they based on? And I don't well, know if you drop what down, the base If you drop down and click about, and then you hit John's back benchmark output, and then ah. proc CPU info for the system. This is basically a benchmark system that's running an Intel Core i7 um, CPU at 3.4 gigahertz. Oh, so actually, that's what they're basing John, it on. That, see, that was one of the things I didn't notice, and I didn't notice the about until you uh, said that. So that's actually pretty cool. Yeah, because recently I was talking with one of the guys that works with me who actually collects a lot of this password databases, and um, he was telling me about uh, many times when he gets these types of big uh, databases, he can get them into uh, big machines that others have built with a bunch of CUDA cards and everything. And he's telling me uh, anything that is MD5, we'll get it. In, uh, we'll get ninety percent in one day. In one day, we'll get almost all of the passwords decrypted. Uh, SHA one, if it is salted, it probably takes us a week. And he's told me with the now with the computing power that we're seeing every day, uh, it is getting kind of easier and easier to kind of crack all of these password encryptions. And where they're actually seeing problems is when people are actually developing proper applications where they're actually using, let's say, a key file that needs to be included with the way that they calculate the password hash, or they take the username, the email, plus the password, and then combine all of those into making the hash that they actually save. Nice. 
Yeah, pretty cool. But uh, yeah, I, it's so, still maintained. Guys, we, once you get to 15 and plus character passwords, you're moving that needle so very small, even with the massive horsepower systems that are out there with multiple CUDA cards and the new ATI cards. Uh, it's just becoming, it's still just astronomical. You may have it to where it's like a quadrillion years and may move it to like 10 quadrillion years. Twin, I mean, it's still moving it just very, very incrementally um, at that point. Oh, yeah. In, in the case of Windows, uh, yeah. Okay, so moving, moving on. on. Moving on. Wow. Joomla closes more security holes. Hooray for Joomla. You know what the way the best close all the Joomla holes are? Install Drupal? something else. <laughs> SharePoint. Come on. Why you Anything but Joomla. <laughs> Has to be the worst CMS in the planet, or pretty close. No, no, no. The, the CMS is decent. It's the plugins that kill you. The plugins have more holes than Swiss cheese at a shooting gallery. Wow. I mean, I'm not, I'm not one to say that like you should judge software on how many vulnerabilities it, it contains, but all right, maybe I have, maybe I've said that you shouldn't, but I'm saying it for Joomla. Like don't ever run this. Okay. Maybe not never, but if you do, you better hope that you have some serious PHP mod security Kung Fu to be able to secure it. And a good method of detecting breaches an incident response program. If you think he's typing his password, Who's typing like crazy? We can probably <laughs> record it. John, no, that's John. Are you typing your password, John? No, I'm in. I'm on mute. No, no, you're not. No, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So this is the mute. Uh, oh, the mute yeah. button. Yeah, that works. Yeah, that. Yeah, now you're I, muted. I was muted. No, you weren't. No, you weren't. Clackety 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 No, it's good. The mute's like a. It's like binary. John says zero or never mind. <laughs> Where was I now? Anyway, uh, so yeah, and Paul, I will I will argue with a little bit about that. Joomla itself, yeah, has it has some decent bugs. The problem where that I've seen with Joomla yeah, doesn't come from Joomla. It's everybody under the freaking planet can create a plugin to do new nifty <laughs> it has weirdo the Android, thing. The Android security problem. Yes, <laughs> everything's a freaking Wait, problem. And Android has no security problem because it has no security. <laughs> it's true. So same with Joomla plugins. Um, so <laughs> ev true. everybody and their mother can write a plugin, whether or not they you know enforce any type of security is a different story because everybody oh, and their man, mother can do it, including the folks that have see no the idea what they're code doing. My mother Mom, writes. Mom, exactly. I'm so happy you got a computer security. Oh, I just created a Joomla exploit. Oh, <laughs> everybody's done that. Yeah. So everyone's done your. Never mind. <laughs> Yes, everybody's done my mom's Joomla plugin. Uh, um, uh, and then... Oh, I want to hear about microcells, because I have one sitting right here. Yeah. It's not plugged in, but I have one. Yeah, so you, you're going to use that later? Um, I was using it for a while. Why aren't you using it now? Um, we need to take it apart. Yeah, well. I was going to say, can I take it home for a little while? Yeah, no. <laughs> oh. But we do need to take it apart. Yeah, so uh, we're just now starting to... Uh, it's probably happened, but we can. We are now just starting to see some hacks for these devices, so that maybe we can start uh, repurposing them for evil uses. Um, and you know, this particular post here, I'm guessing one of the people behind it is uh, Kevin Finisterre, as uh, I saw some tweets from him yesterday. Excuse me, nice shark fin uh, about gaining access to the device as root via serial. And uh, changing the root password on the device so that he can log in with yeah, because they have zero network fingerprint. It's really annoying. They put some really? kind of yeah, they do. If you've seen some of the hacks they have in the the femtocells, mm. one of the first things they do is they log in as root and they kill IP tables so they can log into it over the network mm. remotely. 
because um, when this first came on the network, I was like, scan, scan, <laughs> like I, I couldn't do anything to it. Um, and then I kind of, I kind of stopped there. And then some more articles I read on it showed that um, uh, IP tables was enabled so that like when the local ethernet is plugged in, it has zero network fingerprint. Mm. However, uh, a little hardware hacking easily gets you <laughs> around that. So I just haven't uh, gotten to the point where I'm going to take it apart, but yeah. now I might. So one of the other things that I thought was was uh, interesting, um, I want to say that from basically what they were saying here is that one of the services that they've got running on the box um, were inappropriately configured. Um, so it's BusyBox, LZMA compressed, and it ran FS. So a lot yes. of the type of stuff we've been... We're familiar with Paul. Paul, take it apart the right way. Um, I'm taking my knife to it. Exactly. You don't want to do that. Um, and one of the things that I'm trying to, to find here is oh, okay. Tidy, so they have an IP. Lucy. So they have an IP no screws on it, Jack. Look at. They have an IPsec tunnel um, that they use. Um, the problem is that they do this whole wizard thing to connect over the tunnel, but they have it bind to 0.0.0.0. .0 .0 .0. Mm -hmm. as opposed to just the outbound interface. So it connects to every interface available. Oh, uh, I see. Yep. And it sends uh, some, some responses called for backdoor to a specific IP address, hard-coded um, via UDP, which, of course, then you just... It's actually it's an AT&T device, but it's manufactured by Cisco. I was there, just, is, there is a Cisco logo. I, I was this, just uh, holding a device which yeah. says which has both an AT&T logo and a Cisco mm -hmm. logo on it. And no externally facing screws on it whatsoever. Do you well, have you a Malik story? All righty. Uh, lost smartphones and human nature. So Symantec intentionally lost a bunch of uh, smartphones. And on purpose. And guess what? When people found them... And guess what? They accessed fake personal information. Larry's taking on his Leatherman. And guess what? Did we really need a test? And look, see, he's using a knife. Is there screws underneath the sticker? Yep. Nice. And guess what? We did the story three weeks ago. We did? Yep. <laughs> Get it's out okay. Of yeah, it's okay. People aren't any nicer than they you know, were three weeks ago. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So continue. People suck. Continue. Well, well but, the good ones do. Um, so, wow. I mean, did we really need a test to figure this out? I think the industry is way playing out this mobile device threat thing. It's clearly being used as a selling point, nothing more. When it comes down to it, it's too difficult of a problem to solve at the moment. So everyone's so either up. just burying their head in the sand or buying some vendor solution that really doesn't help them. The real problem is the communications medium with mobile devices is something you cannot monitor and you don't own the device. So in a lot of cases, you can't manage or control what happens to it, and there's your problem. Um, however, you're still letting these devices, which you can't manage, and which run on a communications protocol, which you cannot monitor because it's against FCC violations, <coughs> and nobody breaks the law. So, uh, But yet you still let these devices check your email and access sensitive information. That's all right, though, because the wireless carrier is responsible for the security of the device, and they love us. The wireless carrier is responsible for one thing, that Jack, and that is making a profit. And sometimes they're not you're so not responsible saying, about doing that. You're not saying that they would put profit motives above my security. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even respond to that, Jack. <laughs> 
Uh, all right, so since I haven't figured out how to uh, do what I need to do, I got a couple of stories. You do? Whoa. Yeah. You can't see them, though. They're magic. Oh, okay. I, I like magic stories. So uh, we'll figure out how to get them in the... T- <laughs> oh. <laughs> Speaking of magic stories, wow. Somebody had magic beans for lunch. Uh, I'm so glad I'm remote. Yes, you are. Uh, so uh, a couple of months ago, we had Adam Showstack on, and Adam uh, writes at the New School uh, Security blog, and yep. there was a post yesterday or today on um, Dear FBI, who lost a billion dollars. And there's a... Uh, it's an interesting little post about uh, uh, the FBI folks claiming that uh, somebody lost a billion dollars, but um, it was uh, yeah, Richard Richard Clark, um, Doctor Cyberlove, uh, has uh, been at, at it again. <laughs> what I had a lot of Cyberlove in the nineties. That's yeah. all I'm saying. So uh, so Doctor Cyberlove uh, with his leather glove has been uh, at the, on the story again. Uh, anyway, so. There seems to be hype. Um, uh, Sean Henry, this story got covered pretty thoroughly elsewhere, uh, retired as the executive assistant director of the FBI and lead agent on cybercrime, told Congress last week of an American company that had all of the data from a 10-year, $1 billion research program copied by hackers in one night. Um, And uh, Adam raised some interesting questions. who did it? You know, I mean, who um, who is this? Because this uh, he points out that if if someone were to steal a million dollars from a bank, uh, the newspaper wouldn't say, the FBI wouldn't say, somebody stole a million dollars from some bank. Uh, they would give us details. Um, it should come under SEC disclosure unless it's a privately held company. Although a private, completely private company is unlikely to be doing a ten-year billion-dollar research project, and they didn't invoke the classic. Uh, it's uh, it's uh, if we tell you we have to kill you kind of uh, national security thing. Although if anybody pushes hard, I bet that's where it is. But we're um, we're trying to get more information about things. If there's really a breach of this scale, we need to know so that we can defend ourselves instead of just more FUD from the government as um, Cyber Richard wants to uh, intercept all traffic leaving the United States and inspect it. Is nickname Cyber Dick? There are a couple of now. there are a couple of Richards who I may have referred to as cyber dicks that are beating the cyber war drums. Uh, but yes, so it's an interesting post. I have some observations on there uh, in a comment, but it was just a short little post which, which caught my attention because we need more details about what's happening. The government wants to force private industry to share information because we should trust the government with our information about breaches that we're exposed to. <laughs> However, the government knows about a billion-dollar breach and won't tell us, or possibly they're lying for political advantage. Sorry, I'm just... I know, you. you, yeah. you there's there's hardware hacking going on here, and I want safety glasses. And I forgot about that. What? The tamper device on it. Did it come off? It did. Oh, <laughs> did you put it back? Yeah, but I don't know where it was to start with. So. Oh, you don't know which pins it was jumping? That's just trial and error. Here's a screwdriver. Well, I do my next story. You know what? I'm, I'm going to stay over here when you put the power cord back on that one. <laughs> it's going to be in a different uh, state. We're going to let we're gonna some smoke out of something J- later. Oh, I, JTAG. That's all I got to say. Cereal. <laughs> that's all I got to say. Yes. 
Apple patches, Max, Java, zero day bug. I still don't know why this is a big deal. I mean, for a, why is it, I mean, you, can spend, you can spend a few hundred dollars, though, on a SIR that allows you through Java to drop malware on systems without a vulnerability. So why is it that Java vulnerabilities, like, make a big splash in the news with botnet builders? I mean, I think, I think it is that well, it's, this is the first But I think both our time. guests talk to this, though, right? It makes me think there are some people who live in the public eye and get caught, and there's a lot of us that don't. Yeah, well, I think part of it is, and although there have been some questions about the number, that, that there are hundreds of thousands of compromised hosts. You know what? It's it's not that we're popping them one. It's not that you're popping them, or John's popping, or or our listeners are popping these boxes one at a time, or ten at a time, or a hundred at a time in a pin test, or Bob is popping them. It's that somebody's popped half a million. Um, and also there are some bitter, and there are OS ten systems at right. that, and and there are some bitter anti Apple people in the world who rejoice in the owning of Apple fanboys. I don't know any of those personally other than myself, but, you know. Apple fanboys? Mm-hmm. Me included. <laughs> Even though I use Apple. As I sit here surrounded by uh, Apple, glowing Cult Apple. Of <laughs> Cult of Mac. <sighs> I had, Moving on. You know what? I just realized something. You know, we're talking about the Mac thing. And I don't see anything... Like there's there's nothing there's no videos on YouTube uh, demonstrating social engineering toolkit with the Java applet attack. Um, we should get that out, get it to people. I mean, it's been around for a long time. It's exactly what Paul was discussing, but far too many people. I still have family and friends that come up to me on a regular basis, like, well, you know, I use Apple, so I can't get compromised. It, it it's just not it's just not right. I mean, this attack and there were some other headlines about um, Apple malware uh, running around. And I think that I hope they're successful. I hope that like every emo person sitting in a Starbucks complaining about their latte (laughs) that doesn't have enough whipped cream in it should be complaining to Apple that their software sucks when it comes to security. And hopefully then they'll improve it. And only when their user base complains to Apple will things happen. But they won't because they're too busy complaining about the lack of whipped cream in their coffee. Uh. Oh, my, my last story here, uh, and we can move on to some of some hilarious. TSA asked congressional panel to uninvite critic Bruce Schneier. Ooh, yes. Yeah, so that I one. have only one comment about this story. You don't uninvite Bruce Schneier. He uninvites you. That's all I have to say. Somebody was afraid. They were afraid yeah. of what he was going to say. Absolutely. Oh, supposedly there's a lawsuit against him or some. No, he has a lawsuit against them. DTSA asking for more info on stuff. Something like that. Yep. Yeah, but that was a weak excuse. Um, You know, the the, the OICA, they saw their biggest critic being invited in front of a bunch of people that could actually listen to to him. And they were like, oh, no, we cannot allow this. And another thing that's interesting is the TSA has enough power to basically tell, basically tell Congress that they can't bring someone to to testify to them. Doesn't that strike you guys as kind of strange? You know, it's too bad you can't just like run out to Zazzle or Cafe Press and custom print your own T-shirts, which have things which will confuse TSOs when you go through security. <laughs> oh, like words? Lot, lot. You mean words? Like words. <laughs> 
there, so there Jack, might you set that one up far yeah, too I nice. Did, I did, did, exactly. <laughs> no, no, there are some companies that do uh, say what um, Rapey Scan does. You know that company that Chertoff, the first uh, head of DHS, who now lobbies for Rapey Scanners to be uh, and uh, taking nudie pictures of us all. Uh, he makes millions uh, lobbying for that company, and uh, there's there are companies that have been doing that for decades longer that are really good at you it. You said tweets at me while I was peeing. <laughs> really? <laughs> Lock your really? You So anyway, I'm just saying that if some are malicious, you could you could do things to screw with TSOs. Um, uh, moving on. So all right, I, I'll have to put this link in later. I'll send it over. We'll have to figure out how to get. If nothing else, you have to uh, figure out how to find the uh, post on. Um, that, that yes on the, all right on the interwebs don't poop the server will crash that's all i gotta say what what don't poop the server will crash if you find tell it great <laughs> tell us more just, you, you just have to read the article you have to look at the pictures it just don't poop the server will crash wow paul's googling it right now is it a googleable thing Don't eat too much. Yeah, that's it. Don't eat three bean salad. Don't eat too much three bean salad. You just just look at the picture. This, this is oh, there's priceless. supposed to be a picture here. You should oh, be. I'm blocking it. The the, the, the nubby. <laughs> here we go. The nubby admin dot com is the the URL, and the you nubby at the, the nubby admin dot com. This is just getting weirder and weirder. N-U-B-B-Y? T H E N U B B Y A D M I N dot com. Newbie admin dot com. Nubby. Nub, newbie, whatever. Newbie. No, that's, look at that. He's such a noob. He can't smell noob. Wow. <laughs> Does that say nubby or newbie? I guess newbie would be with one B, right? Can't poop, Subaru crash. <laughs> oh, I see it. I see it. What? Is there a. So this makes great radio, guys, because it's about the pictures, but. um. My water-cooled Clark Connect Clear OS box is running through the toilet tank. <laughs> so, oh, no. so if you flush the toilet, it has no water to do the water cooling. Oh, guy, my God. <laughs> the guy made his own water cooling block for the CPU, and it's, it's brilliant. And where did he have? He had to punch a hole in the wall to put pipes through and hung the inlet and outlet into the tank of the toilet. At least it was the tank, not the bowl of the toilet. <laughs> Nice. Uh, it's worth a I read. Also, I also like the picture just below that. It basically says, my company practiced DevOps before it was cool. Then they hired me to fix it. <laughs> nice. Uh, so um, um, that was enlightening, Jack. <laughs> oh, man. So I uh, don't know if I want to give you access to the wiki again, because you might put stuff like that in there. <laughs> don't poop, server will crash. I think you're banned for a while. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> what else you got? All right. So uh, how about Xbox getting, 360? How about, about the new Star Wars game? How about yeah, getting pwned for by Connect? Star Wars Connect? How about getting pwned by a used one? So some researchers have claimed to have recovered a credit card number from used Xbox 360s by removing the drive and analyzing. However, Microsoft claims shenanigans as the Xbox 360 was never intended to store credit card numbers locally and Microsoft whoops wipes the drives when they refurbish. Well, what happens when you buy or or I'm sure that you'd argue that some 
caching of the credit card number at some point that occurs, even if temporarily in Slack space when you're entering it and all that stuff. And uh, what about those Xboxes that have not been refurbished by Microsoft, but say sold on the used market by your local mom and pop place? Like, I don't want my Xbox 360 anymore. I'm going to go take it down to uh, GameStop um, or GameStop like or the, the mom and pop place oh down the street. God, and- QSAs in your game room. Just vomit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. And, and I think the, the real meat of the, this for me was that I think that most folks realize these devices have hard drives in them, but they don't realize that there may be sensitive data on them, let alone how to eradicate them, which is actually kind of scary. All right. How about, uh, so Paul, in, in response to your pastebin story, yeah, talk about automation, was uh, Unsung Heroes uh, from Chris John Riley who has a great list of uh, tools that are unknown, often forgotten, but are really useful. And the section that I thought was really neat um, was the uh, whole pastebin trolling, I mean monitoring stuff um, from Python and, and so forth. So you give it some search terms and it will constantly troll pastebin for, for those items, which I thought was actually kind of neat. I can think of a bunch of things I'd like to troll pastebin. Like credit card. I mean. Porn? Porn. South. The text porn is... ASCII porn, yes. ASCII porn is so 1990s. But in any case, um, so yeah, lots of neat stuff there, and, and go check that out. Uh, I think the last one, Paul, which you know, uh, I bet you'd find really neat, um, Free PBX has an exploit available, and it's in Metasploit. The neat part is, is that when you exploit Free, B- free PBX with Metasploit, it forces Free PBX to make a phone call which, when answered, actually executes the payload. Yes. So you have to exploit the box, get your payload there. It forces a call outbound. When it's answered, FreeBBX then finally executes the payload. So you yes. have to answer your phone. It's to posted by your... Offensive Security. Yeah. Um, they also talk about a method of invoking Nmap in an interactive mode for privilege escalation in this same post, which I had never oh, nice. heard of. That was a I method I had not heard of. And you know what? I missed that too, which is... Yeah, if you uh, keep reading down along in the post, they they reference like another post where they talked about doing that. Oh, so. okay. So, oh, okay. So they yeah, reference another post. Inter- interactive mode, it dash dash interactive somehow allows you to privilege escalate into root, which I was not aware of. So there's like two epic things in that post. Oh, nice. Yeah. Pretty awesome. That was a great post by Offensive Security. Nice. Were there any other stories for this week? Jack's got one. Well, just briefly, uh, I, since we've missed a few it's weeks. It's not on the wiki, Jack. You didn't follow our security processes we have here at Paul.com. <laughs> Never mind. Not that I expect <laughs> you to follow. What am I? You know what? Just go on. <laughs> And why do we have to follow new security processes? Because somebody didn't. Because <laughs> someone didn't put SSL. All right. But we have it now. So moving That's on. That's because we were busy. Yeah. We have like we jobs busy. and Because we got like actual work to do. So anyway. <laughs> so anyway. Uh, everybody knows this, but I need to mention it for those that have been under rocks. Uh, I had briefly mentioned in the past that the Mandiant uh, Breach report came out, and the trust wave report came out, and a couple of weeks ago, the one that most of us look forward to because uh, it's, uh, well, better, uh, is the Verizon uh, data breach investigations report is out. 
Uh, I'm assuming everybody's no, wait, read it by you now. You remember the Saturday Night Live sketch uh, Reflections with Jack Handy? Is that what it was uh, called? Uh, something Moments. Tender Moments with Jack Handy. Tender, was it Tender, tender moments? moments or? It's Deep Thoughts. Deep Thoughts. Deep Thoughts with Jack Heck. Handy. This is now Deep Thoughts with Jack Daniel. <laughs> wow. <laughs> It smells like feminine products. Oh, man. Ah, so. And now, deep thoughts with Jack Daniel. So, <laughs> without beating this too much, but the data breach incident report is very good. It has some biases. They admit it, unlike some other reports. Um, you know, I mean, to to make it to the data breach investigations report, you need to end up on the U.S. Secret Service or Dutch Secret Service or uh, Iris, uh, Iris Cert or, uh, you know, call in Verizon for data breach investigations. Uh, so you have to have a problem before you get on this list. So it's people that have been popped um, and it is people who've been popped and have used one of the people to report. So there's a lot of selection bias and arguably confirmation bias. Um, so this is a documenting failures, but it, there's a lot of interesting information in there. It's well written. It gets better every year. They do change their, they tune their methodologies, which is great. However, that means year over year comparisons are sometimes a little weird, but there's some very interesting things in, in this. And some of them are, um, if you are dumb enough to actually care about information security, like all of us in this room and most of our listeners, it's probably pretty depressing because they have some really great advice for small businesses and I've never heard these anywhere before. They suggest things like using a firewall, um, changing default credentials, uh, patching, using antivirus. So just, do they uh, say anything about quantum uh, computing? No. And how it's going to save us all? They do not. And then they talk about uh, how large enterprises or companies with over 1,000 employees are actually, uh, you know, they don't fall to those easy things that uh, large enterprises, the the attacks that compromise them are trickier, but they're still pretty easy. And they actually have a much more optimistic view on that than I do. They say that, uh, you know, covering the basics will uh, provide a, a great deal of protection for small businesses. And my take on that is, no, the larger businesses that were compromised prove that the uh, determined attacker and clever ones just use the minimal skills required to compromise people. And well, uh, so you really need to do anything more right, than that. Why are you dropping zero day if somebody's going to, you know, uh, dig something out of their spam bucket and launch an executable in uh, well, Excel spreadsheet. Password on something, yeah. And you know the RDP stuff. It'll be interesting to see. I don't. I don't know if we'll know that. Uh, one of the the same things that's been happening for years in the Verizon report is there are still Eastern European crime gangs that are looking for open RDP and hitting uh, point of sale terminals that have default passwords. And the passwords are still the same ones I said a year ago on, I don't know, episode whatever, which is Micros and Micros or some variation of that. And uh, as much as I'd like to blame the company for having default passwords, uh, somebody installed those systems and didn't change the passwords. Somebody probably paid a service provider or a processor to install those systems and didn't change the passwords. And, and, and someone is probably still paying those same people to maintain them. Right. And But someone doesn't check to make sure that they don't have default passwords, which is an easy freaking thing to do. I'm sorry. Matter we do it all on pen test in like a script. And it doesn't now. matter anymore because the passwords won't matter in a few more weeks once MS-12020 exploits are reliable. We won't even care what the passwords are because RDP is open to the internet. So uh, yep. it's there's some really good information. Um, expect 
expect to see lots of marketing FUD based on particularly the Verizon DBIR in the upcoming months. Uh, but read it and uh, enjoy it. And um, start. No, really? Oh, yeah, look so at that. A really? Little, there's a little jumper. No, there's a big jumper. No, there's one jumper that goes on one of three positions as an anti-tamper-proof wah, 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 device. Did I just wah, wah. drop the jumper? Yep. No, my dog's going to eat. Oh, no, wait, I see it. That's what she said. Are they comparing their own pings? Yes. So you yes, say they are oh, comparing. This is a tamper-proof thing? Yep. Why, why would they? Really? What? So you can't do that. <laughs> what happened to the spirit of hacking? Come on, if I'm industrious Wait, enough to take it apart, didn't we start this smart con- enough to make it work? Why didn't we start really? this conversation by observing there's an AT and T logo and a Cisco logo both on the front of that piece yeah. of shit? Can I take? Back, I mean, device. I take back everything I said about those two companies that was ever good because they both suck now. <laughs> Uh, so anyway, moving on, uh, DBIR. So if you it, want to sponsor it, love the it. show and you're not Cisco or AT&T, we're more than happy to talk no, to no, you. No, no, no. You know what? You should. You should. Because if if our friend down there in Australia can get that company that he trashes all the time to give him money, we should be able to get AT&T and Cisco both to give us money. Is that the goal? <laughs> we have to trash people and then get them to sponsor? Is that like, the, is that like a challenge? I don't know. I don't know. They, they, there should, we have plenty of potential sponsors then. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Sky's if, the limit if that's the If case. you're in marketing at Micros, please contact psw at paul.com.com. Sponsored by CRG, the makers of Speedlight. It's as far as we got with the... We'd have to break the case has now has to be broken if you want to get it further apart really? than that. But I guess I guess you can get access to every almost everything. You know, you can get access to everything. Where's the JTAG header? You don't need JTAG. Oh, serial, serial, serial on board. Serial is do, 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 do. show me where the serial is. Show me where the serial is. There's another set of pins around somewhere. Cocoa Puffs. Uh I wanna say it's one of Fruit Fruit Loops. Fruit Loops. Fruity Loops. Oh, it's that oh. right there. Okay, I'm back to the show. Yeah. So anyway, so it turns out that in the past couple hours of drunkenness, we've come up with some brilliant ideas for giving away those five B-sides Las Vegas. And next Hack week. Hacking AT&T Microsoft. <laughs> so next week, while I'm in Austin <laughs> riding a duck and being drunk, you guys will come up with some great contest ideas. You're doing a what now? We can ride ducks now. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna so drunkenly what, ride a duck. All right, we're gonna, you know what? We're gonna take a short break and come back, and then we're gonna tell you what is needs to happen. It'll involve embarrassment and digital evidence. <laughs> We're back. We have a contest for you, Paul.com listeners, and I think it's very it, it fits with the Paul.com theme. It fits. It it doesn't mean that you have to uh, have our gear, but here's the thing: you need to, to submit a picture that is themed hack naked. The theme of your picture that you will send to PSW at Paul.com.com will be themed hack naked. It can be anything that you think relates to hacking naked. It can be a picture of you hacking naked. It can be uh, even better, a picture of a attractive female hacking naked, which is what we'll strongly recommend. 
Uh, it can be a picture of you with a hack naked sticker somewhere. Maybe hacking naked. It could be you. You wrote hacking naked or hack naked on a piece of paper and you put it somewhere. It, so you don't need a hack naked sticker. You don't need a hack naked T-shirt, although that helps. You just <laughs> need the words hack naked. Hack naked somewhere or some representation visually of hacking naked. Send it to PSW at Paul.com.com. And what's the deadline? Uh, the deadline. When is it? So it's summertime. Know, so it's And I remind people, this is a pass. These are passes for security b-sides las vegas let's say june 1st and this is so if you're going to be in yeah. vegas or can shuffle yeah. your plans june it's 1st. wednesday and thursday the yeah. 25th and 26th it's the wednesday and thursday before DEFCON. almost two months to get ready so yep. um you know if you're not actually going to use these the or don't have a friend who can use uh, them excuse me uh, let some go ahead and send us naked pictures but uh, give the passes no, to no, somebody no. who can Hack. use them naked themed pictures hack naked no. not just naked pictures look i know what you want i know what you're saying and i know what you want so send the naked pictures to paul and pretend <laughs> there's a uh, hack naked theme somewhere involved the top five the top five hack naked themed pictures will win tickets to security will be acted out live in high definition and you will have like to be act them out live in high definition at security besides nice PSWAPalt.com.com, top five hack naked themed pictures will win tickets to security B-sides. I like it. The pool at the Artisan is clothing optional. I strongly recommend clothing. The core discount code <laughs> is Impact BSG. Larry is holding a board now, which we have successfully taken apart during the show. And successfully nice. not bypassed the uh, tamper protection device. But if you read the posts over at uh, Fail Overflow, yes. they say... Uh, the device includes a nice little tamper detection mechanism, which uses a set of six possible jumpers, three of which are marked in purple on the above photo, to detect when someone removes the covers. The specific jumper settings are supposedly unique per device. We've discovered some interesting things about this tamper detection technique, but we'll defer that to some other post. Ooh. So, so stay, they know. Stay How does that board taste, Larry? Um, it's very good, actually. Oh, good. Tell me. Has GPS. Good chips. Yes. It has GPS on right it, there. too. Yep. GPS antenna. Nice. That's pretty sweet. Yep, so that means you can't take it out of AT&T service range. Yeah. Nice. Not once we hack no. it. Nope. Well, thanks, everyone, for listening, and we will see everyone on the next episode. Thanks, everyone. Over and...